when you have a business that's your own name, there's a lesson. People want you to be there and for you to make the decision. So think long and hard before calling a business your own name. Would you change that advice. now? Yes, I would. <laughs> I love that that honesty. Like, yeah, I would. Yeah. Ah, well, I would. Yes. I mean, how could I? Because I love my business. So that's really nasty of me to say, but it would have alleviated a lot of things along the way. Absolutely. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. This episode is produced in partnership with Estee Lauder and it's a continuation of our Self-Care Sundays mini-series. I sit down with some of the brand's inspiring ambassadors and friends to have an honest conversation about their careers businesses, life on the other side of the filter, beauty and confidence. What does the word confidence mean? And what does having more of it actually help us to achieve? So if you already adore following women like Pip Edwards and Eleanor Pendleton, Estee Lauder and I hope you enjoy getting to know them on a deeper level. You can find more episodes from our series in seasons three, four and five. My next guest is Australian food entrepreneur Donna Hay, a name synonymous with simple but delicious recipes enjoyed by families across the country. Oh, and the colour blue. Donna has written 27 cookbooks selling over 6 million copies worldwide and has successfully expanded into homewares and TV. But as someone who identifies as shy, How did she find or cultivate the confidence to do it? In this episode, Donna and I explore her journey to success and what she's learned along the way. I think in many ways, this honest conversation honors the time and the level of integrity it takes to build a brand that transcends trends and mediums. There seems to be a new brand launching on Instagram every day. But what does it take to continue to lead in your category after two decades in business? We explore it. Now, to set the scene, we recorded in Donna's warehouse office in Sydney's Darlinghurst. And on arrival, I came to find she had cooked me chocolate cupcakes and made me iced tea. I was about 37 weeks pregnant at the time, so you can imagine how excited I was to see those cupcakes. I hope you learn from this honest conversation. Here's the iconic Donna Hay and I for this special Self-Care Sundays episode in partnership with Estee Lauder. The first question I have for you is, why do you think food connects us so deeply? Well, it's something that I only kind of stumble. I know this, having been in food for so long, it 
It is how we share moments and often great moments with our friends, our family. So, you know, there's moments like a wedding that's about the food and the wedding cake, a christening that's about, you know, the party afterwards. And I guess I didn't realize how deep the food connection goes until a girl stopped me in the supermarket car park not long ago. Actually, it was deep in COVID lockdown. Okay. And I was trying to finish my book and I was scrambling to find ingredients and this girl said, excuse me, and she was almost in tears and she said, I thought it was you, you're Donna Hay. I just have to tell you that you're so much part of our family and she was in tears, which then COVID wasn't great for emotions anyway, so then I'm in this market car park in tears as well, that, you know, she kind of rattled off 12 different recipes that they must have at when there's a christening or a wedding and this is the birthday recipe. And without ever having met her entire family, I was really part of their history. Mm. I was part of who that family was and I got so emotional in the car park and so touched by that that I'm quite flippant you know I'm kind of I don't take myself very seriously but I started thinking about it from that point that it's not just a recipe that I hope you cook that it's actually interwoven into people's family history Mm. that's deep that's their family stories and DNA it absolutely blew me away it took Mm. me a long time to kind of wipe away the tears to be able to see properly to drive out of the car park. Hadn't occurred to me how deep in I was. Isn't that interesting for all of the years you've been in business, it was only 2020 or recently for that exchange to happen to hit you so deeply? Like how, how does that feel to know that you're having that impact on people? Because I think we create beautiful things and we put them out in the world. And we know people, like you know people, follow you on different social media platforms. But it's very different when you see them in person. And I read it. I read the emails people send in. I read the Insta comments. You know, I read it all, but it wasn't until, and people do stop me and tell me, but it was just this moment where this girl captively had me for 15 minutes and could tell me every single part of every recipe that had occurred you know, she was probably my age, so she was rattling off her 16th. Like this was a long timeline mm. of DH in your life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, it's, It was really, I can't describe it because it hadn't occurred to me. I knew people cooked my recipes. I knew that I think it was the face-to-face exchange and the length of it that really stopped me in my tracks. Yeah, and touched me and kind of thought, you know, you don't have to be always flippant about this. You can can kind of take your place in people's lives and be proud of it. That's so great. And be touched by it as well. Sit in the success a bit. And more than the success, I guess, the emotional impact that you have on people's lives, that's entirely beautiful. Mm, Isn't it? Yeah. It was so nice. Will that change the way you think about what you create and what you launch, just like those types of interactions can often have such a kind of visceral effect on how we lead inside our businesses, I think, as well. Do you feel like it's one of those things that will stick in your mind now and maybe drive some of the decisions that you make? Um, I think from that point, 
which was early. That would have been sort of Feb, March 2020, you know, like we don't know what's ahead of us. It's all, what is this? Um, And I think from there, the major pivot of feeling confident to reach out to these people who did want to jump on a Zoom class with me and wanted to be there and, you know, how we're homeschooling or just missing being at work and missing being in the office, just missing their lives. Um, It was a big turning point for me to just, you know, run a brush through my hair, throw on some makeup myself and, you know, there's no hair and makeup mm-hmm. in lockdown and <laughs> jump in front of, which is frightening when when you've always been part of a bigger production as well. It's totally. So, so many things were out of my comfort zone and to jump on and to have these interactions, you know, with people and so many thousands of them to jump on to a Zoom class and have a chat and a joke and a laugh but do some cooking at the same time. It was just... Yeah, taught me a lot. Mm. Taught me a lot about myself. Taught me a lot about how quickly my business can pivot. Taught me a lot about all the media rules that you think you have to stick to that, you know, you can just put in a little bag and throw out the window. Yes. (laughs) Do you feel like it reconnected you with your brand in a way? Because do you feel like after being in business for so long, there becomes maybe more space between Donna Hay the brand and Donna Hay the person did those more personal interactions make you fall back in love with what you've created in a way? Um, yeah, I th- in a way it took away the high polish that is pre-recorded, edited video for TV networks because um, it's just different. That There's a lot of, of control. Recording. There's a lot of control. You can't be that funny. You can't be, you can't be, that's not what, that's too edgy. Whereas my Zoom calls, they just go. Loose. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. It's just, you know, it's just fun and it is cooking. And as you said, it's people's lives. It is a Tuesday night dinner. It's their lunch they're taking tomorrow. It's not always a grand occasion. Sometimes it's just a solution. Mm. And they look to me for that solution that's really easy but really tasty and you know, it's amazing. So it's so many different touch points where always I'm always trying to consider. And I don't know, I, I had to um I had to step away from the computer and pretend I was going to get another ingredient because, you know, again, that emotion that you don't regularly see, little kids holding fry pans up to their dad's laptop computers showing me what they're cooking along with on a corporate Zoom that was booked with some C-suite kind of managers and their kids at home and seeing the delight on their faces. Um, at dad's home. Dad's, dad's home. cooking with me. And dad's, so that was it for me. Uh, in ball of tears. Waterworks. So, yeah, had to pretend I was I'm going to get another in, ingredient. I ran for the tissues, said to Morgan who was behind the laptop, I'm out for a, just let me free group. But yeah, really high emotion and the the look on this little boy's face, oh, my goodness, so proud. Mm. Killed me. I mean, it's just, you know, a conversation for another time, but last year it's just changed the way we show up in the world. It's changed the way we parent, certainly, the way we're in our relationships, Mm. like for all of that hardship, which continues, what a gift as well. Like I think about those dads whose role it is to get up at 6am, put that suit on and not be home till 8pm. Like what a gift for them to be able to retain their job, 
a developer relationship with their yeah, and and I think how their kids will view it in a totally different way. That my dad was home and we did all this stuff together, not knowing, you know, not really taking into account the bigger cause. But who cares? Mm. They had a great time. Mm. Yeah, strange, isn't it? Yes. Um, so we're sitting down as part of Offline's Self-Care Sundays mini-series, which is in partnership with Estee Lauder. And this season, we're continuing to explore the word confidence. So I think this is our third season now, exploring this concept. And more than the concept, what the word actually means to women. I read that you considered yourself quite shy in your younger years um, too shy to train and work as a chef. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really shy. And probably for half of my business life, way too shy and not confident at all. Interesting. Good at my job, but not conf- that's two different things. Okay, yeah. And this is interesting for us to explore because there's the confidence that comes from being an expert in what you do. But I guess that's very different for you when it, do you mean in terms of presenting to camera? Yeah, all yeah. of that. Um, I just wanted to do naively what I was good at and what I loved and what I felt comfortable doing. And being topped that off with a good dose of shyness, um, it's pretty, yeah, <laughs> probably held my own business back for quite a while. But on the other hand, built a brand instead of building a celebrity person. So for quite a while, I was never at the, at the front of the brand. I was always behind. It's a really lovely, shy, comfortable place to be until one day you realize that you're stalling your business and maybe you need to dip a toe out from behind the door and see what that's like. That's really interesting because I think today we have this obsession with wanting to influence and wanting that fame and celebrity and what a massive learning for anyone listening to say, actually, the longevity that you get by doing it the opposite way Mm -hmm. and not making it about you, Mm -hmm. but building the brand. Is that the sort of advice that you would give today? Because I think there is that real kind of desperation to be someone. Yeah, we were just talking about that today in the office, actually, about those people who are desperately want to get onto any sort of TV show, reality or not, whether you're going to be fed insects or whatever is going to happen to you, which is usually pretty horrible, let's face it. Um, And how that just doesn't um, sit, it's not for everyone. And maybe when they get there, the price of celebrity is not, it's not something you can turn off either. I can't go shopping and pretend I'm not Donna Hay. Um, And that's something that you've, you know, everyone has a bad day and you've still got to front up and answer the cooking questions. You're in the middle of the shopping centre, just trying to grab a few things and, you know, there you are. What's that like? I always get a shock. People must think I'm rude because I forget that I have that side of my life because it wasn't who I intend, like what I set out to be. So sometimes I jump back like someone's about to steal my bag, (laughs) (laughs) which must put people off like, oh, my God, she's so odd. But I just forget, you know, I work, I'm someone's mother, I'm someone's partner, I'm, you know, I... I'm just, I'm, I consider myself, life. yeah, I'm in my life. I do what you, what everyone does. I have, basically, that's in my head what I do. Um, so when I get stopped, I kind of have to, um, that little switch has to go in my head that 
is like, no, that's not a school mum. It's not one of your friends. It's just it's just a person that's cooked one of your recipes and smile and be nice. Don't yeah. look so shocked and they're not going to steal your bag. <laughs> <laughs> I um I shouldn't even try and relate here, but I get it on a much smaller scale. Like the offline's audience is beautifully loyal and engaged and often I find I'll be in Zara or less the food the food shopping for me and more kind of like if I'm out kind of just doing a little fashion shop or something and it's that feeling of like there's a lingering around yeah and then I get that Alison are you <laughs> and I'm like yes and I'm the same where I'm yeah. like oh fuck no makeup you know I might be in my gym gear or whatever I've just stopped in and it's like it doesn't matter and actually the interesting thing is I as yet I haven't announced my pregnancy publicly I've kept the whole thing private and so there's been a real shock oh my when goodness, they're like there must be um, um that's <laughs> something <laughs> I think talking about that was the beauty of COVID for me was the oh yeah the you privacy. could stay yeah but it's um it's surreal and like you're saying it doesn't really get any less surreal the longer you're in it you know it still no. feels and yeah. it's not always in the supermarket once I was having an MRI um, on my brain and someone stopped me in the corridor, you know, oh when they God. lead you to the MRI. Yeah. And a woman stopped me. She was a lot sicker than I was, a lot, lot sicker than I was, let's face it. So I stopped and I chatted to her. But I was in a paper gown and that, you know. Vulnerable. Yeah. I was already thinking about my brain scan and then pumping dye into my veins. And, you know, you're already in your own head, so to speak, about what's, you know, what's ahead. And I just had to turn it on. Yeah. That switch has to go and, yeah, she, she'd obviously wow. had a hard time of it and in her mind, there I am. I'm Donna Hay, she's cooked my recipes and she's excited. Mm-hmm. So it's my job to forget I'm in a paper gown. Give her the Donna Hay experience. It wasn't Donna Hay blue though. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was that would have been on very brand. on brand. <laughs> Is there um, in your mind, I'm always interested in this sort of, so you've built a, business on your name, mm-hmm. um, is there a lot of space between Donna Hay, True Self, the woman, and Donna Hay, the brand? Or do you feel like you've cultivated a brand that they're quite connected in that? Uh, I, For me, it has to be connected for you to be authentic. I don't think I could be different, two different things too far away. Mm. I think the authenticity is really important in what you do because then it becomes second nature when you write something or yes. when you're creating something, it has to be from you. So as much as I would like to think, you know, in the early days I got to sit behind, it is just a reflection of your beliefs, your values, your aesthetic, your humour, your personality. Mm. Mm. We were talking about confidence and what not having, not perhaps enough of it, but enough of it, held you back from in business. Can we explore that a bit in terms of, do you think about how many years perhaps, or is it more opportunities that you didn't pursue because of the shyness? Probably opportunities more than years. I wouldn't count, I just wouldn't remember the years, but um, I don't know. People just talk about happy accidents in business or, you know, opportunities. And I guess just I feel like I fell into some things, but I didn't. I I was really good at my job, but the lack of confidence kind of 
stopped me from telling you I was actually really good at my job. And I was probably, you know, probably I got my own magazine because I was the best food stylist in Australia and I was, but I, I could never say that. You know, I was just never, ever. So um, just from a young age, being given huge opportunities like that, it doesn't mean that you're the most confident in the room. It just can mean that you're the best at doing your job. That's, that's quite profound. It's hard. It doesn't make um, and when you're answerable to someone like News Corp, um, I don't know if they were ready for me not to be confident either. Because I, you're an asset, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're that an they want to work their asset. Yeah. And, and for their asset to be like, oh. Oh, no, no, I don't do that. Yeah. Mm. No, I can create this for you, but personally I won't do that. So what is it that? What do you put it down to in terms of building the confidence? Like was it just time on the field or was it you really having to assert yourself to say, come on, we need to get out there and say yes to these things that we ordinarily are saying no to? Um, I think it's a, I think for me it was just a combination of so many different things from people around me that gave me really great lessons or just opened my eyes to what is happening and I just, I don't even remember who it was, but I remember I had this huge, huge speaking engagement and I can't remember who, it must have been a marketing manager or someone, a PR person that worked with me at the time. I remember them getting quite short with me and saying, you know, all those people out there, I didn't drag them off the street and tie them to those chairs. They're here to see you. So bring Believe it. it. Yeah. Like stop it just, this is ridiculous behavior. They're not tied to those chairs. They came here to see you. So put on a performance. That's like powerful. Basically, yeah. And I was like, oh, um, actually, yeah, they're not. Yes, you're right. Mm. So no, just little lessons. That people tell us how it is like that. Oh, I wonder it? who that was. <laughs> I know. I can't remember. I hope they're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Send we me a text. <laughs> You launched your own magazine in 2001 without a budget or staff. Well, in the beginnings, began mm. to conceive it without a budget or staff. I read that and I think that takes extreme confidence in a way. Um, do you feel that? And I wonder like where that bravery came from. Or like a pure desire to create perhaps. It was more the pure desire yeah. to create. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And I'd met some really powerful creators coming up through the ranks, really um, powerful. And I think if you, you know, you're kind of growing up and you're not part of the kind of girls club clique because you're a little bit different and what you appreciate in life is not the latest surf backpack or whatever mm. the girls at high school were obsessing over. I think when you find like-minded people, um, and they also accelerate things in your creative brain and push you um, and inspire you that that was the most thing, powerful thing in my really young career that happened. Um, I used to work, well, I first of all, I met Sabella Court when I was really young um, and she was, we were just so different yet so like-minded um, and just had an appreciation for anything beautiful and creative and we did some really great things together and we collaborated and we would chat and it was great, 
So great. I was so lucky to have met her when I did when I was really young. And then I worked, um, I was working away in a studio I shared with some photographers down in Willamaloo. was very, boy, it was grunge before grunge was I was going to cool. say that feels grungy, yeah. Oh, it was grungy beyond. Um, and we had a hire, the guy who owned the studios, half of it was a hire studio. So we had fashion photographers coming through and big models and it was a beautiful daylight studio. And Jane Vorty walked in and saw some of my work um, that I was sorting through on the floor. Um, and that's how I got my freelance job as the food editor of Marie Claire. Wow. I had no idea who she was. I had no idea what Marie Claire was. Probably in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I was totally like, yeah, whatever. She's like, come and meet me at this time. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. What? I don't understand what you're talking about. But anyway, I will smile. Yeah, and Jane was a huge force in shaping how my creative brain worked, really, mm. and how, how she could really, anyone that's worked with her, it's hard to articulate what Jane can do, but. Like access someone's creativity? Not really. She sets you challenges. She just makes you think in a different way. And she would say things to me like, she would always be off on a trip somewhere, fabulous. I can't talk for long, I'm off to Marrakesh. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, you know. Where? What? Yeah, early 20s, so naive. What? Where? I can't talk for long, Donna, but I'm seeing white. That's what she'd say to me. She was in charge of my of me pitching my food pages to her. I can't talk for long, but I'm seeing white. Lagerfeld, cruise collection, all white. I'd be like, I don't, still don't know what you're talking about, but anyway, just nod. Yeah, Chanel, all white, white. Let's do white. It's all about white. I'm like, yeah, not much food is white. You can make it work, sweetie. Anyway, I've got to go. That's what she'd leave me with. Crazy things like that. So she taught me to look outside of food really early on, that food can relate to fashion trends. It can relate to so many different things. And you can start trends through food as well. Yeah. I should say I saw it a show. I was just the shows in Paris and it's all about roses like <laughs> she I feel just... like we've lost that creatively in I mean this is a generalization but media like if I think about my time coming through the ranks in media I was always digital only I think about that a lot like I have no magazine experience I wouldn't even know how to be on a shoot you know or a production the size of what you would do and the access to like the more traditional, that matriarchal editor didn't really transfer into digital no. and we didn't have the depth of experience and it was all about strategy and numbers and analytics, still is. So what you're explaining... We were about content. I've never had that experience of someone just giving me um, an idea, a colour, and then me having to like access a part of my creativity. Like it's quite... Sad in a way, I think. Do you think about that much in terms of the evolution of our industry? Like we're losing a lot of the, I think personally, the depth and the character of, yeah, like I mean, I just I think to you say, can yeah. see a definite shift in publishing media when publishers had to take direction from sales instead of mm-hmm. editorial, that that was lost. That's why I left. <laughs> That's why we all left. Yeah. Um, yeah, because 
I always felt as an editor, I was responsible to my readers and I was responsible for putting the best product out there so I would get more readers or readers would love me even more or use the magazine even more. They wouldn't buy it, they'd use it. When they use it, they're going to buy the next one. Mm. So I had this really intense um, passion to create things that my readers would open the page and it would just blow them away. I hadn't seen it before. Some of it was their weeknight solutions. Some of it was just pure and utter joy to look at and voyeurism and beauty. Mm. Um, And I felt that responsibility to them. I've asked them for their money. So what am I giving you back? Yeah. What are you getting out of this? And then I just thought, well, I've got to have as many readers as I can to satisfy the advertisers. Somewhere along the line that shifted and we started selling our editorial. Big time. And we started doing shoots that were sponsored, which is fine. You know, I don't know. I don't, because time has changed, I don't know if if it stayed the path, if the industry would have survived better. Mm. But it just shifted. I don't know when because I was already part way out. But yeah. Um, I feel like when I entered digital in 2012, there wasn't another way. That's how we did it. That's how we made money, you know. And there was this concept of like contextual commerce, which sounded really sexy at the time, but ultimately it was just sponsored content. Sponsored content. And that's what we got really good at in digital was just calling things great names, lighting up the advertiser's eyes, having all of our buzzwords and our numbers. But I think to your point, what you were doing, we couldn't ever really properly do, and I don't think we are still, is deliver an experience for the audience that they'll never forget because it's so just hundreds of stories of the same sort of thing. But um, did you feel on your way out it was really about the fact that your integrity, your your creative integrity was compromised? Uh, no, I was in a position where my creative integrity was never compromised and that's due to having really great lawyers that draft really great contracts. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, No, I just, I felt like it was time for me. I'd I'd done 17 years. Um, And, you know, that's just like driving a train, a runaway train. Publishing is a train with stations and you pull in at the station and you go again. Yeah. Sometimes you're driving the train, sometimes you're running through the train trying to get people to sit in their seats and yeah, it's too, it's an odd way to live mm. life. 17 years of 17 your life. years of it was odd, odd enough. There's a monotony to that. Um, yes, that train. When you think about it, Donna is the original female founder. She was an entrepreneur leading women and innovation in the food space well before being a girl boss was a thing. And I use that label with caution because I'm still unsure if it's actually helped us or in fact hurt us. But anyway, I wanted to know the types of challenges Donna faced decades ago as a young woman whose name became a masthead and later a brand. Um, I found there wasn't, for just personally, there wasn't many mentors, female mentors that I could reach out to. Not like there is today where you can Mm. message someone on Instagram and just ask them if they want to have a coffee and 
you know, I don't know, it just seems to be easier. There wasn't that many women and the women that had done it so tough before us and thank God they did, they kind of just didn't have the time, the energy or were a bit more guarded and I understand that. I really do. Um, So that was a big thing, just finding, stumbling your way, hoping that no one could see you stumbling so badly and let's just put up the smoke and mirrors. Mm. Um, Yeah, and I'd always been freelance. I'd always worked for myself and suddenly I had a staff and Excel spreadsheets that I was responsible for and all sorts of things. So for me it was just learning curve after learning curve after learning curve while Mm. wanting to really just be my creative self and that's the thing isn't it when you got to run the business side you're like I just want to do the thing that I got into this for yeah. but and you get luckily, further and further away from yeah, it yeah I think luckily I early on I thought okay you need to work both sides of your brain pretty hard together here to make this commercial because otherwise this is all for nothing so mm. how about you get both sides of your brain firing pretty quickly and make the beautiful things profitable yes which is Incredible advice for any kind of young female founder listening because I think we, my experience has been we have a tendency to lean out of revenue and lean out of budgeting and thinking about is this a viable business or not because we have that intense passion to create and nurture and put things out there and there can be that feeling of failure if we can't sell it but we haven't thought deeply enough about is there actually a business model here and I it's and not the, the fun hard part. questions. Yeah. You know, they're the ones ones we don't, they're the boring ones. If you're a creative, they're the really boring ones. Um, And often you don't want to hear the answer either. Or what you have to do perhaps to get it to monetize. Yeah. I think that's what I probably found. And I still find hard in my own business now is, you know, the decisions you have to make to say, well, I wouldn't really ever do that. But if I want to keep going, you know, what, um, what have you learned perhaps through those earlier years, but I mean, even more recently, what have you learned about leading and building a team? Because I think that if I think about my own leadership career, that's the stuff that I found the hardest is finding my people. I just don't think I'm good at it. Really? No. And that's okay, I I guess, isn't it? To say that. Well, I can't be good at everything. And I probably only just learned to say that a year ago as well. I'm just not good at everything. You might be. Everyone else might be, but I'm not. Mm. And you know what? That's okay. (laughs) Um, I think when you're a softy and you don't want to hurt people's feelings, sometimes it's hard to be an effective, what people would call an effective leader. Um, Also, being a creative leader, you might have instant decisions on some things but want to ponder on others because creative brain sometimes goes is that good enough is it good enough Mm. and that's what happens in my head a lot is that good enough can it be better if I had more time I could make this better or is there something you haven't thought of yet do you need five minutes do you need two days do you need to go for a run on this because that is it the best Mm. and I think that's the other voices in your head when you're managing as well that's Mm. great what you've done is it the best and then that can come across I feel like for female leaders in particular that we're indecisive yeah because we can't deliver that yeah line yeah yeah 
And when you work in a creative business, it's not black and white. It's not finance. It's not banking. There's not a right and a wrong. A spreadsheet, you know, numbers don't add up. It's not like that. Mm. It's, yeah, it's a creative process. So did you work hard to put the right people around you to take on more of that kind of front-facing leadership? I tried to, but when you have a business that's your own name, there's a lesson. People want you to be there and for you to make the decision. So think long and hard before calling a business your own name. Would you change that now? Yes, I would. (laughs) I love that that honesty. Like, Yeah, I would. Yeah. Ah, Well, I would, yes. I mean, how could I? Because I love my business. So that's really nasty of me to say, but it would have alleviated a lot of things along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm here between the creative, but then you've got to go to the meeting. You've got to do this. You've yeah. Got to... And I also think in the long term, if, and this is okay too, it's okay to start a business with um, the intention to sell it down the yeah, track. And when really we. really smart. <laughs> yeah. But we don't necessarily think about that in the beginning, but, or give yourself permission to say, I can build something and sell it. I don't have to do it for the rest of my life. But when we make it our name, it obviously becomes harder. I didn't want the magazine to be called Donna Hay ever. Really? I still have the first mock-ups that don't have Donna Hay on them. But I think there was a correlation between Martha Stewart and that I would fill those shoes That's in amazing. Australia. Isn't that amazing? It is really so, amazing. And I was so tight on deadline. I literally had six weeks from you can have a magazine to you're off Where to the printer. Where is the magazine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... I just really didn't think it through. I just wanted that meeting over. I had so much to do. It's not something I've thought through very well, was it? Yeah, so that just happened. Mm. It just happened. I had so much work to do. This is interesting because one of the questions I had for you was how 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 deep was the vision for Donna Hay, the brand? But it sounds like really it just the kind of content was deep. evolved. <laughs> yeah. Right, but the overarching strategy if you thought about, okay, what is this going to look like in five years? Mm. No. No, I'm not a, no. I always felt like when I was forced to sit down and do a two and a five-year plan, that was the biggest waste of my time. Mm. And where would I feel disappointed if I didn't hit these milestones? Would I turn down an opportunity because it's not on my piece of paper in my two-year plan, but that opportunity could be more fun and more exciting and Less mm. revenue, but more enriching for where you need to be at your end goal. So most of my decisions aren't based on the number, which drives most people insane. It's based on where we're going, where we want to get to. What are we going to get out of that? But that's such a big lesson for us to hear from you because I think we have a real obsession with the numbers and the money and, and the planning and the planning and putting together these very shiny presentations that we can all feel really good about, but then just sit on a drive that no one ever looks at. No, <laughs> you know? put so much effort into it. I just never did them. I never did them. I just didn't, I couldn't understand how could that be like me? Why don't you go to a tarot card reader and get them to do it for you? Cause that is actually the value it has for me. Yeah. I just never know. How can you predict the future? What would be your advice then? I actually had said on Instagram that I was interviewing, not you, I just said like a well-known food entrepreneur and what would you ask? And I had a few people ask the same question around 
what advice would you give for somebody who wants to get started in food today? I think part of it is around how much, how planned do I need to be? How, what does my strategy need to be laid out or not? What would your advice be? If you think about the climate that we're living in now, you've just said that you're not much of a two to five year type planner. So what would you say to those people who want to start something? I think if you're going to start something, I don't think it's about the two to the five years as, as we've learned last year. They, the world can change in an instant and it will change again this year. We just don't know how it is going to yet. But I think if you stay to the fundamentals of who you are, like you've got to ask yourself the hard questions and then answer them truthfully. What makes my business I want to start different to anyone else's? What makes it better? Who's going to buy it? Who's going to repeat buy it? You've you've got to know your business right inside. You've got to you've got to know all about it, and it's got to be from inside. Mm. It can't be on paper. For me, mm. this is for me. I feel like you have to know why you're better. It's embodied. It is. It's mm. something that's that's. And I think when it comes from inside, that's what gives you the drive to get up every morning and to keep going with it. And actually, I had a plumber over the other day and his little apprentice said, I'm trying to break into the music world. How do I do it? People keep telling me my music's no good. Oh. And I said, but who, who do you want to listen to your music? Who's your music for? Who's going to buy it? Is it commercial music or do you have to put up something commercial first of all to then do what you love? Mm. Like well, where's your road? Where's your road? It might not be the road you really want to hear. You might have to write a commercial track first and then you can do what you love. You can't come out all guns blazing being with the artistic thing. that Totally alternative <laughs> and, you know, like let's just be realistic about it. And mm. I think he kind of looked at me and the the wide eyes, the penny dropping, the whole oh. So you know, there's there's. I think in business today and starting new businesses, you can't look at a traditional plan. Mm. You 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 have to be smarter than that, and you have to be more nimble. And if something that you've got your heart set on ends up to be not the exact way you can go, you really have to work around that and just make it work. And that's the resilience because yeah. we're so quick to give up it doesn't in the mean face you're of rejection. A failure. It actually mm. means you're a success because you've identified it and you're moving around it. Come back to it later. Mm. doesn't mean you're absolutely throwing that out the window. Come back, revisit it later. Mm. Just go down another little path. doesn't just got to be flexible. Yeah. Can you think of, you know, one or two occasions where, they might have been classified as failures but actually created through ways to you doing something entirely more successful than they would have been? Like had there been any big moments of like, fuck, that looked like it went wrong but actually it had to in order for me to get to? Um, I can't. Oh, I just, no, I've done things, <laughs> I've done things that then did really well and kind of came, I remember when we launched uh, Fresh and Light as just a one-off, a one-shot, just to 
give the ad team something else to sell. And I love health and wellness. So to me, it was easy. It was was good. It fed, fed my creative spirit. Something I wanted to get into was something that wasn't mainstream. So I couldn't always tap into it into the main mag. So I could create this whole magazine on wellness and fresh produce and nut, you know, almond butter and all the things that I loved that was like, wow, this, yeah, this is easy. One shot. Hmm. Well, the one shot did so well that it then became a, <laughs> a quarterly. So, you know, there are little things that I think are little projects that wouldn't have got off the ground that actually skyrocketed that. And then I did books on the same t- sort of topic. And mm. But, you know, even when I start writing a book, I start writing three different books and one of them becomes the front runner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tell us about that process. Is that just you exploring different concepts and seeing which one starts to feel true? Is that what it is? Yeah, and it can often be the one that I don't think is going to, but the more I have the tabs open on my computer and work on all of them, you think this is my new baby, this is it, and then all of a sudden it's not. You see a whole shining new light in, you know, the underdog that you thought had no legs, but suddenly you can creatively see it. I can see the book. I can see the pages. I can see it evolving before I start. Mm. So, yeah, I I think going back to that point of starting your own business, don't get hung up on one single point. Don't think you're going to be a failure because that little thing didn't work or that idea or that part of it's not going to work. It doesn't mean you're done. It, it just means you're still moving, but you're evolving. Mm, So having lots of little ideas on the go, exploring different concepts and seeing which one lands. Yeah. Just staying open. I meet a lot of young, I meet a lot of young girls that have an idea and I'm like, you know, it's maybe not the most commercial idea. So it's a, you try and coach them around and they're so stuck on this idea and that's really hard to coach someone when they're just really tightly blindsided into one thing. Also means your business is not going to grow if you're so stuck mm-hmm. on one product. And often sometimes it's like who asked for it yeah. as well because we get these ideas in our head that this thing needs to exist and then when you really confront yourself to say, but did anybody actually ask for it? No. Well, it's not entirely surprising that it's not necessarily working. Do you do a lot of, I guess, active or deep listening with your community to figure out what to, where to innovate and what to create next? Um, I can, it kind of comes from what's happening in the world for me. It's a, like the bigger picture of where we're at to what we're going to be eating. It's always mm. connected. Um, so I kind of look to the state of play that usually shapes what people need. So last year would have been great fodder for you. Do you know what I mean? In terms of it was so kind of, it has been so catastrophic that you can't ignore it. And yeah, you're in the end of the industry where what we did was return to the table, didn't we? Yeah, it was. And really surprising things happened. My basic experience kids book jumped up into the top 10 and it's five years old. 
you know, it's a great book. It's got a great series. Um, and the networks popped it back on because they realized all these kids were back at home. But yeah, it's funny things happen in business that you would never think um, are going to. Also, the really nice thing that I saw that really warmed my heart was there's no kind of there's no kind of food club where all the foodies get together and all the chefs get together, you know. some it, You just kind of, if you go to their restaurant, you might see them, might be their night off. They might be too busy to come out of the kitchen. So there's no kind of club where we all know each other. You kind of have to bump into someone. Um, but the really nice thing I found last year was those guys had their rest, guys, girls, had um, their restaurants shut. So all of a sudden they had time to do videos. You know, they're working 18, 20 hours a day. All of a sudden you're seeing them on their Instagram channel doing videos from home and stuff because they've never had that time before. Yeah. And it was really nice. It was really cool to just see them a bit more chilled out, not as tired as they usually look, and having some fun. Probably a lot happier as well. Oh, gosh, those hours they do I is incredible. Imagine. Yeah. The intensity inside kitchens. Oh, and I know, and someone not showing up and someone complaining about their dinner. And, oh, my goodness, can you imagine? It would just break your heart. Another reason why you didn't do it. No. <laughs> Let me go on the nice side. Um, can we talk about um, lessons in money? What have you learned about money, finances? Um, I was never very upfront about money and didn't feel comfortable about it. So it's probably a sign of my generation. Um, I don't make decisions in my business based on money, brand decisions. I make them on longevity of the brand. So we can get lucrative deals come through the door and I have to decline politely. I'll probably say more no's than yeses. And to anyone listening would think you'd think that I'm a crackpot and maybe I am. But I kind of think, I'll think about you, Alison, and I'll think what's a product that you would not make, you know, what if Alison saw me spruiking laundry detergent? Mm. I wonder how she'd feel. I wonder where she'd go, what's Donna Hay doing with laundry detergent? What's Donna Hay doing with a pool clean? You know, like it's totally. just odd. And I don't want to disappoint you. Mm. So many of these people cooking my recipes have been with me for so long. I don't want them to, to be disappointed. So... As much as there's a lot, there's, you know, the, if it's not, I'm also not a very good, is there a nicer word for bullshitter? I think that's a good word Faker. for it. So I couldn't yeah. stand up and sell you the laundry detergent or the pool cleaner because I would be laughing at myself. And I'd see straight through it, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I would be laughing. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even read the lines. Mm. I'd be really laughing. I'd feel like a parody of myself. So there's just things that if they feel right and it feels like a great partnership and I instantly think, yeah, I can do that with that coconut sugar or I can do that with that brand. Do you know or, straight away usually? Yeah. yeah. But then there perhaps is ones that someone in your business might ask you to think about a little bit harder if it is. You know what? If they want to twist it around and do something more on brand for me that they know is going to work for them, then that's that's a great solution. But yeah. sometimes I'm quick to kind of go, oh, that's not, I, can't, I can't do that. No. I can't. No. no. And that's a bodily reaction usually, isn't it? Oh, Where you're just like, no. Defensive reaction to your business. Um, 
yeah, there's been some partners where I was like, I just don't think I can do anything for them. And then you, when you investigate it or start thinking creatively about it and then I go, well, I could do this for them and that would be really super cool, but they'd have to be open to doing that. And letting me do that on my own terms. Yeah, and seeing the engagement. Mm. And once you've got a couple of those under your belt, you know, it's just the roll on from that is fantastic. I think this is a good lesson because what you're sharing with us is that you have to have that brand equity and you have to, you only build that through authenticity and time on the field and lots of years of saying no to get to a point where you can put yourself in a position to negotiate. Has that been true for you? I mean, you get to a point where you can say, no, I'm Donna Hay and this is how I would do it. And if you would like to work with me, this is how we do it. But we can't do that if we, for lack of a better description, sell out in the beginning yeah, see, yeah. I held it from the beginning. Um, yeah, I was kind of lucky. Mm. And I different strategic time. as well. Yeah. You it was knew. a different time. Was I'm just I'm not gonna say that I was amazing at business. It was a really different time. You know, I got catapulted right to the top of food publishing because I did everything differently. I broke the mold. I didn't know I was. I just had a I just loved white on white. I loved when you went to a restaurant with that white tablecloth and the white plates and how spectacular it was, how elegant it was. And then when you combine that with really simple recipes where your girlfriends who were the first generation of dual working parents, so they weren't taught how to cook, suddenly didn't have to call you from 4.30 every afternoon, could see how the chili was chopped, could see how everything was done because the recipe's so simple and so beautifully plated that you can see all the ingredients. That was the aim, but little did I know. <laughs> what was in store? <laughs> yeah, that catapult of... Mm, no getting off the... Whoa. What do you think about... Um, I guess, influencing today and social media, like because you were so established before Instagram and all of that and Pinterest and all of it, do you find it hard to entertain having to spend time, I guess, building and like engaging and cultivating that digital presence or have you found that actually really exciting and refreshing? Oh, no, I find it fun. You like it? And instant. Yeah. Yeah, no, for me, I just thought it was like amazing, this Instagram thing where you post something immediately. You don't have to send it off for color correcting, color balancing, <laughs> some proofing, some proofreading, some die lines. Then it goes to the printer, wait a couple of weeks, it goes on sale. Like that is insane. Mm. So, no, I love it. Love, love, love it. Yeah. Love it. The freedom. Yeah, the freedom. You can work with the weather. Oh, look, it's hot. Let's all have a gin and tonic popsicle. Let's be honest, who needs the sun as an excuse to have a gin? <laughs> Donna has a long history with Offline's brand partner, Estee Lauder, which started back in her magazine days. As an advertiser, Estee never missed an issue, supporting Donna and our collective love of her recipes through all 100 issues. If you've listened to other episodes in our Self-Care Sundays mini-series, you'll know that I love hearing about my guests' first memories of Estee Lauder. I asked Donna to share hers. I remember seeing the pretty advertising 
that's just my honest answer. Mm. You know, the beautiful bride with the beautiful perfume and the beautiful field of flowers and some other fragrance. And yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah. I remember the maybe the fragrance ads most of all. Yes. And, and that's always something they've done were. so well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like yes. youth Jew. Yes. Um what was that other one? Ch- uh, beautiful, beautiful was the one with the bride, wasn't it? Always if, in the little yeah. car and so glamorous. Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. You recently turned 50. Have I got that right? Yeah, I try and keep it a secret, but yeah, because I'm so we juvenile. Can that. And, and yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so childish. No one will believe you. <laughs> um, let me rephrase that. In your um, years and experience, what have you learned actually matters in life? You're someone who has an incredibly successful business. You obviously have a beautiful family. When you really get down to it, what have you learned actually matters? Being happy. Being happy. Money, no money, success, no success. Could be really successful and seriously miserable and unfulfilled. So, yeah, at my age, I really know that you've got to do the things that make you happy, not always the things that make you popular. Not always the things that give you the most Instagram likes, but yeah, it's really important. Mm. What makes you happy? Um, freedom, mm. creativity, um, laughter, not being serious. I hate being serious. It's not in my. I can tell you're very makeup. playful. I am. I'm such a joker. I'm not. I never grow up. It's boring. So boring, I hate being, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's just, you know, I don't take myself very seriously. I think because I have a big business and I have lots of things and my name's been around for a while, people, must th- people think that I'm some serious big business woman that knows it all and has done it all and must be a real tough, hard ass. But if only they knew, such a softie. Mm. And, yeah, I'm not... I, well, I have to say I didn't know what to expect coming here today and immediately felt your warmth. I mean, part of it was you putting down the cupcakes yeah. and the iced tea. I was like, <laughs> I oh, my God, it's Donna who made me cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a gesture of friendship as well, mm. feeding people. And I thought you might need them. Need them and some cooling peppermint iced tea. I'm actually like trying to stay really focused on our conversation, but my mind is continually thinking about well, those cupcakes. I have cupcakes. got a box set to the side because I thought, you know what, Alison might just want to go home, sit somewhere cool without her shoes on, with her feet up, and just have a little moment with like four or five of them. <laughs> See, this is the thing is when I have conversations with women who have been pregnant before, it's something that you you don't know until you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do with those. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've another three weeks of this. Yep, let's just kick our feet up and uh, four of these will make me feel good. Well, I'm letting myself indulge now, I think, as you come towards the end. It's really hot. I feel really It's hot. It's hard to sleep. 
I'm all baby now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Turning over in bed is a mission. Oh, seriously. What? Yeah. It Waking is. yourself up to turn yourself up. That's like a beach whale. I know. No, you can't, can't tell anyone. But the, you forget all that because the flip side is just insane. Mm. Although I wish someone would have told me, and I'm going to tell you that I'm turning the interview around. I wish someone would have told me just to not stress about the baby. They do cry. They actually cry a lot. A lot of the time you can't do anything about that and it's okay. They cry. It's incredible advice for me because why do we keep trying to yeah. stop them from crying? Because you know what? Sometimes they're gonna cry. They're changing so quickly. They've got an upset stomach, they've whatever, whatever. I wish someone would have there was I just yeah, wish one someone would have said to me, It's okay. Just enjoy your baby. Stop stressing. Mm. They're really hard to break. <laughs> really hard That's to comforting break. to know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just enjoy it. And they're not perfect. They cry for no reason. It's not fair. And they can't it's tell you why. nothing you're doing. Nothing or... you can do. Stop telling them to shush. They're just. It seems to me all the reading I've done, there is a real world obsession with sleep in that. Oh, my they God. They have to sleep for this long at this time and they've got to feed this many times in 24 hours. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of pressure yeah. to have a newborn perform and imagine that stress that your baby's feeling because I have done this, Alison, that the baby doesn't want to sleep but the book says the baby should sleep and then the baby should. So you're getting more and more stressed. Poor baby's getting more and more stressed because all it knows is you. It's ridiculous. Mm. So, yes. So tell us what perhaps what has motherhood taught you or if not that, did you show up as a mum very differently than what you thought you would? Because I'm trying to figure out, I wonder how it's going to come to me and I wonder what type of mum I'm going to be and what's going to feel really natural versus not. I think when my boys got older, there was a lot of look and learn. And I remember when my older son was 13 in the driveway yelling at him. And I was yelling. Mums yell. They just do. You lose it a lot <laughs> with a 13-year-old. And I remember yelling at him, you've never been a 13-year-old boy before and I've never been the mother of a 13-year-old boy before. So for goodness sake, can we just try and work this out together? Stop fighting me. And that's kind of the mantra we sort of lived together with since then. Mm. We just haven't done this before. doesn't mean we're going to do it wrong. It's just we haven't done it. We've just got to find our way. We're just navigating. It's navigating. But, you know, your right could be my wrong. doesn't matter. Lots of parent shaming. You just have to ignore that. But, yeah. Oh, it's, in, it's insane. But, yeah, it's just... You just got to do your best and just listen to what you think is right. You know your baby, you know your child. I know exactly what my boys are going to do usually before they do it. It's just that connection you have with them. Mm. Um, but it's really funny and it's really rewarding if you can be, if you can remind yourself that not everything, children are not perfect, babies are not perfect. It's a lot of fun and it's a lot of laughs. I can't wait, honestly. And just to think oh that gosh, I'm so close now. So many hours staring at them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm glad I made the transition out of 
kind of corporate publishing two years ago because I think that would have been a real shock to the system. Mm. I've been working for myself from home alone for two years. So I feel very established in the home and that some days are more spacious than others. So I don't think I'm going to have that come down of like, who am I? Yeah, what am I going to do? That's real. The other thing I used to do, which I changed having a predominantly female staff, is that I used to hide things in my diary like sports carnival, swimming carnival, awards day. You know, you get a message from school that one of your sons is getting a a certificate and a tiny piece of paper that means not much (laughs) participation for that week or something. I used to hide it and then I just kind of that whole kind of women's empowerment thing happened and, you know, started to grow and the whole International Women's Day. And then I thought, oh, hang on a sec, what sort of leader am I being for these young girls if I'm hiding this stuff in my diary? And I'm going out, don't tell if, you know, if someone rings, don't tell them I'm at a meeting. Yeah, don't tell them I'm at sports. And I thought, oh, this is wrong. I can't do this. I can't set this standard for them. So then I just would write. I'd be away for half of the day because it's the swimming carnival Mm. and my children want me to be there. And we will be all happier if I am. Yeah. (laughs) Happy home life, happy work life. Yeah. Yeah, so I just, there's a few things that I had to change that I was doing wrong. Mm. To prioritise or to show, yeah, to show your workplace that we can prioritise our families. absolutely. There's nothing wrong with, you know, we're still working at 9.30 at night when we flick our laptop back on. It's not about how many hours you can do at your desk. Um, still get the, you know, mums work around things. They just learn to, you have to. So it wasn't about the work hours at my desk. It was about making sure that everything is prioritised in my mm. life. The, the whole work-life balance, we're all eternally searching for. Yes. And we learned a lot last year, I think, Um I'd love to know, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, You know, you said that you love to have fun and, you know, you don't necessarily want to grow up, quote unquote. What is your relationship with ageing? I was, we've been having these conversations. I have a birthday coming up, so it's been, you know, it seems to bring up those kind of conversations about, how some people seem to to kind of melt into this aging that they need to be more demure or quieter or old, just old. Um, I think getting older gives you certain rights to be more eccentric and more... <laughs> Are they just excuses? No, no, I think it's a mindset. I'm not good at being old I don't think I don't know what old is but I'm just good at being myself Mm -hmm. um and what about skincare I'm like basically drinking advanced night repair breakfast lunch and dinner right now (laughs) um well skincare for me is I probably own more beauty products than you could imagine. Really? Oh, yeah. Quite a fan of the beauty product. Yeah, I'm huge. Um, and I guess that that goes with what if I am on 
normal work cycle, which is just me creating and being in the studio like I am today, whether I'm gearing up to film, which filming's different for me because I'm over steaming water hot things. I put my head in close to the oven. It melts mascara. It does all sorts of terrible things to makeup. So I just have a very unique skincare and makeup routine for when I'm filming. Okay. That works for me. Um, yeah. So I have, uh, I have different sections of hair product. care beauty products. How cool. So many different ones. Like day know. stuff, shoot stuff. Yeah. Yeah, video shoot stuff, like more intense lights, location stuff. It's all different. That's fun. We're 4K and you can see every wrinkle. So, yeah, it's really, I, yeah, I love beauty. I, maybe I could have been a beauty. I love beauty. You could have been a beauty editor. Love it. Yeah. You strike me as someone who would have really enjoyed that job. I love really the science and all, like, because there's so much science in food as well. Mm. Yeah, I find it fascinating. Mm. I was um, learning about the Double Wear Foundation and before Christmas, Estee kindly gifted me what they called a foundation wardrobe and that's what what you just said reminds me of. It's like you've got mini makeup wardrobes essentially Yeah, for different parts of your life. Are you religious with your skincare routine like morning and night? Are you that person who's like can't go to bed without doing all of your steps? In the morning, it's kind of very much part of my ritual. Skincare, definitely. Makeup, I can do without. But then, genetically, thanks to my mum, I have good skin. You do have great skin. Lucky, it's my mum. Nighttime routine, I kind of mix it up because nighttimes I feel is when I really lose the, the hours. I can be really sucked up. I have business on the other side of the world. So, some nights you can just lose the night, mm. and but um, yeah, I I cheat and I I always cleanse my skin even in the shower before I jump into bed. Have to have a shower before bed. Me too. But um, if I'm feeling extremely lazy or it's been a really long day because I get up really early, I have A and R next to my bed so I can just do that dropper squidgy thing and literally just slap it on. (laughs) I know. I hate admitting it. That sounds like really lazy girl, but I just don't want to go to bed without something. Yeah. Yeah. Just get to that age where you can't skip that step. Yeah. You just, yeah, it's no good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've got a couple more questions. I can't let you go. A lot of people wanted to know your kind of death row meal. Oh, did they? Yeah, they do, don't they? They always ask me food questions and I'm kind of like, come on, let's move on from food. Let's talk about my obsession with fashion and beauty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite designers. Um, oh, do you know, I'm pretty indecisive about what I like to eat. If you were coming to my house for dinner, I'd be more than happy for you to send me the book and the page number that you'd like to eat. It'd be that. so much easier. You'd actually get invited back a second time before you even came the first time. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I've had some really amazing, as you can imagine. Yeah. I've had some amazing food experiences, but um, I don't know. It would be something really simple, really great rosé champagne, some probably some bug tails. Mm. Really simple though, really crunchy, cold cos lettuce or iceberg lettuce with a really simple dressing. Mm. You know, I would just be so, yeah. Mm. Really simple, but 
super delicious. Yeah. It's often that way, isn't it? It's like you don't necessarily want to talk about the thing that you, or you don't obsess over the thing that you do for a living as much as people might think, you know, in terms of like you're not intimately thinking about food. I probably all the am time. in the back of my mind all day, mm. all day. But it's the other things that can spark great ideas. Mm. And it's the other things that can lead you down the path of where you know you've got to have your eyes open, watching everything. Listening. I ask each of my guests a final question. Oh, goodness. Okay, this sounds serious, Shepard. And this is why I was excited to interview because I was like, she doesn't know the question. No, I don't. Most people know the question. No, I'm (laughs) I'm really in the dark now. So, offline exists as an exploration of true self. And when I talk about true self, I mean, who are we without Donna Hay, the brand, without the Instagram followers, without all the labels? When you're sitting in your true self, who are you and what comes up for you when I ask that question? I hope there's no right or wrong answer, but when you ask me about my true self, I see a little girl um, cooking in a kitchen, making tons of mess and giggling and having lots of fun. Um, So maybe that's I, that's honestly what popped into my head. The first thing when you answer. asked me my true self, I just maybe still am that little girl who was mixing up wild ingredients in her mum's kitchen, making a mess and dangling off the chair and nearly falling off and being silly. That's beautiful. And there's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> Thank goodness. Absolutely not. <laughs> Thank you for being on my podcast. Thank you for inviting me. That's my pleasure. And I wish you many, many happy years of beautiful motherhood. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. <laughs>